Hello and welcome back to It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast where we don the hiking boots of truth and the sturdy trousers of expertise to scale the north face of Mount Money. The ascent takes time, but the views are spectacular. I'm Andrew Harrison, long-time Mayor Brownsword client, and as ever, I'm joined by Andy Mayer. How are you? Very well, thank you, Andrew. It's good to be here. Glad, glad to have you here. This time, we're going to talk about the stock market recovery in its different guises around the world and how to approach it, how not to get caught out by being trying to be too smart. And we're also going to talk about artificial intelligence, AI. Will we reach a time when AI can manage your money better than you can? And to help us with all of this, we have a special guest. Mike Coop is Chief Investment Officer for the investment research firm Morningstar in the Europe, Middle East and Africa region. Hello, Mike. Hey, Andrew. Great to be here. Glad to have you. So we want to talk about where stock markets in the UK and the US are headed and how to approach those changes that happen at the moment. Firstly, Mike, I mean, we've been through COVID and the shocks of the energy price uh, changes and the Ukraine war. But for all that, the FTSE reached an all time high of around 8000 in February. Can you give us an overall picture of exactly where it is at the moment? Yeah, Andrew, it's been through a real journey and fallen heavily out of favour during uh, the the machinations of Brexit, where foreign investors didn't want to have anything to do with the UK because they didn't really know what was going to happen, how the negotiation would go. It also fell out of favour because it didn't have the sexy IT and innovation themes like they had boring banks and, uh, and, and dinosaur energy companies. Now, that all changed in 2022 when people realised that there was a future for those and they were actually priced so low that uh, you were generally going to get a much better return than than the hot areas of the market. So that, I think, put it back on the radar screen, and that's why we had that rally. But we're somewhat a little bit back now where we were with the, with the tech boom hype, and the UK is taking a bit more of a backseat this year. And, and so other markets, particularly tech-led US, have done better. Yeah, we were chatting before we began recording the podcast, the, the enormous importance of AI, of artificial intelligence companies. Um, you mentioned AI euphoria. What is happening there? Because, I mean, we tend to, we, we tend to sort of encounter AI kind of uh, in the form of chat GPT or in the form of kind of generative art programs that you might see on social media creating amazing images. But behind that, big companies are making big bets and are doing very well. Yeah, well, people often accuse uh, me of having intelligence that, that's artificial. So <laughs> I, I, can, I can relate to the concept. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, the... The, the interesting thing here is it's a classic extension of the, the wave of uh, innovation-led uh, euphoria that has been a theme of markets really for the last four or five years and echoes what we saw in the late 1990s where any, any new innovation uh, was greeted by investors as you know, uh, a, a game-changer for everything and any company associated with it uh, had their share prices bid up to the moon. And that's been a feature this year where we saw, for example, NVIDIA, uh, which uh, is, a, is a supplier to many of the companies at the driving edge of this. You know, share price rose 44% in the space of less than a month uh, when it announced its results. Uh, and that, that, just to give you a sense of what they left it, is its, its price earnings ratio. So it's price today divided by the earnings last year is 220. And when you take into account what people expect to happen in the next 12 months, the earnings that it get, that price earnings ratio comes down to 53. A normal price earnings ratio, uh, even for a fast-growing company, is maybe, maybe in the low or mid-20s. So there's been clear euphoria, and anything with a sniff of that has done well, while most other 
companies haven't done well. So this is actually quite a dangerous time because people are reaching all sorts of conclusions when they really don't have a firm basis for knowing that that company suddenly is going to be able to generate way more profit indefinitely. So I think I just want to pause there. Um, It's been a feature of how different industries have performed this year. And we've also, of course, had that and many banking crisis with banks going bust who were not very good at managing their risk. And so the banks that went bust, like Silicon Valley Bank, as opposed to bigger, better managed banks like HSBC or Bank of America, really um, were caught out by the rise in interest rates. So, so here we've got a situation where, as we stand today, um, people are, are rushing toward the sector. And the, the long-term history of AI uh, and, and innovation, I should say, and productivity tells us really two things. One, the biggest impact of far-reaching innovation is that everything costs less to make than it did before because we can apply that technology to either make more from what we're currently just putting in today or we don't need as much in the way of inputs to produce what we do. Plus, there's new stuff. So every major innovation, electricity, the internal combustion engine, railroad, canals, uh, computing, and so on, uh, we've had this effect. So it's quite disinflationary, which is good news. It'll bring down prices. But most of the value that gets created doesn't stay with the company that invents it. Uh, it gets competed away, and the amount of time the, the innovators can stick onto it is fairly, usually fairly short because others latch on. So this is the this is the thing why it's so dangerous to presume that one or two companies will be the dominant beneficiaries indefinitely and to price them as if they will be. Right. So not everything's a Facebook, in short. Not everything is a kind of a monopolizing the universe. I wanted to ask you then, how does one go through, you know, you know this is literally your job. How, how do you go through a, a sector like AI, which is brand new? There aren't very many reference. There are kind of uh, precedents in terms of, as you say, previous in, innovation uh, moments. How do you sort through the AI sector and, and, and say, yes, these are the companies to go with and these are perhaps, uh, you know, unicorns and phantoms and dreams? Well, yes, thankfully, we have people who've got real intelligence, uh, and I, <laughs> I defer to them. Uh, so we've got, we've got a big team of global equity analysts, uh, as well as uh, a global markets research team. And we start off by actually identifying all previous, you know, historic instances over a long period of time of waves of innovation in companies and their growth rates, the sales growth. And this is not the first time we've been, we have, you know, significant innovations over the last 40, 50 years. So that gives us some idea of how long it is individual companies can sustain unusually high growth rates before they compete the way. We know from our own work on moats, that is companies who can put in place uh, protective barriers that make it hard for others to compete with them, that they can uh, grow at a much higher pace for a lot longer than would normally be the case. And that very much features in our thinking. And so that's really how we, we have a framework for thinking about moats. We have a framework for saying, okay, that allows people to perhaps persist for longer. But what we also know is that companies aren't alone in doing it. Governments have a role to play and other companies copying them. And really, you know, what a really good example uh, Meta is today on on the launch um, of its Twitter competitor uh, thread. So that's a great example of how easy it is in some cases to copy and compete. So those forces ultimately bear down on you and you have to take them into account. And that's how we end up saying today, for example, NVIDIA, you know, on our own stock price is very overvalued and is expensive, more expensive than it's ever been 
in its history. I was actually using Threads this morning, and it is remarkable how close it is to Twitter. And yet it's also remarkable how different it feels, because on the one hand, you're not thinking it's run by an incredibly obnoxious figure who <laughs> seems to be trying to destroy democracy. On the other hand, you know, so far, it's it hasn't got nasty yet. People are quite nice. So maybe, you know, maybe that straightforward uh, copying of the technology um, is, is, is worthwhile. So one last thing on AI before we move back to the, to, to the kind of the regular stock market, shall we say. Is it a bubble? Uh, will uh, the way in which people invest and the way in which people maybe look at it more soberly prevent it reaching that kind of bubble status? So terms like bubble are best looked at case by case. And it's a bit like a mosaic. Imagine a mosaic and you see like a Roman mosaic on the floor and some of the tiles are red and some of them are white. And when all of them are red, then you know you've got a bubble. It's a bit like that. Here we're looking at individual companies and we're certainly seeing instances of people uh, getting carried away, and NVIDIA is a really good example of that. So in those individual companies, yes, and then because uh, other uh, other exponents have been bid up, bid up in price, uh, a significant portion of the US stock market, it's what's led that rally this year. And that's also tended to mean that you need to approach things with caution. So yes, there's definitely clear signs of over-enthusiasm. Um, you can cram up with your own definition of what you mean by a bubble. But for us, unsustainably optimistic expectations and excessively high valuations, yes, there are quite a few of those linked to innovation, although probably not to the same extent that we saw uh, back in probably early 2021, uh, when, when a, lot, a lot more companies uh, were, were in, in that kind of territory. So back to the sort of strength of the market in general, COVID, the energy crisis, Ukraine, and of course, Brexit, were all have all been talked about very much as kind of causes of where we're going on this in uh, uh, in the direction of the stock market. Are they still the main determinants in Britain or are we now moving into uh, uh, other eras? You know, COVID's now in the past, obviously the Ukraine war is still with us. So it's worth just reflecting on, on what you buy when you buy shares in the UK and how, how separate it really is from the fate of the UK economy, uh, simply because most of the earnings for the UK stock market, the hundred largest companies, most of the earnings come from outside the UK. And we've got global firms here, whether it's energy, whether it's healthcare, financial services, uh, consumer companies. So that tends to mean that, yes, COVID globally had an effect that was highly unusual uh, and, and wasn't long lasting. Uh, and the effects of that uh, are pretty much, we think, passed away. The energy crisis, we're still clearly dealing with the effect of that. But that's uh, that return to to decent energy energy prices from very low prices and the profitability is what pushed up the value of energy companies. So as we look at things today from our lens of what we'll be prepared to pay to own something over a full market cycle, given the outlook and the risks, and we compare the price to that, you know, we're seeing much less of a gap uh, in, in, in uh, uh, undervaluation than we saw probably a year and a half ago for the UK. But it still looks to us to be one of the better markets for investors because People are still a bit cautious about the outlook. And, and so even with those themes that we've mentioned, the energy is probably more consequential to the inflation and the bond story than it is the equity story, for example. And we really see it's kind of more the fundamental dynamics of those industries playing out. And really the banking sector is also worth calling out years of regulation and focus on stress tests and making sure there's enough capital have actually left the banking sector surprisingly well positioned for this. So I think, you know, overall, when we look at the UK as a consequence of those things, it is in reasonable shape for investors compared to many other markets.
we are in now a high inflation era and we're entering a high interest rate era. Um, what's, what's the kind of connection between stock market performance? Because obviously interest rates benefit savers. It's another way of investing. Andy's going to give me terrible looks here because he always says, get out of cash and get into the stock market. How should we behave as investors and savers in a high interest, uh, high interest rate, high inflation environment where, as you say, the stock market is kind of looking a bit, uh, it's, 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 it's looking worth, worth your attention? Yeah, so you know, there's a reason why most portfolios rely upon shares to drive the growth and help people uh, uh, grow the the value of their assets to meet their goals, and that's because it's got a uh, direct link with the the value creation of companies, uh, productivity, growth in the economy, and so that's always kind of the backbone of most portfolios. And fixed income has typically been there to help you out in the scenario that's particularly bad for shares, which is a deep recession when companies' sales drop, they can't cut costs enough to offset that, so that means their profits fall and they may have to cut their dividends or in a really, really extreme scenario, you know, they might even um, go bankrupt. Well, that, that's very rare. And that also affects corporate debt. So you know, in that situation, governments are still going to pay you the coupon on the bond or you let them your money and they're going to pay you back. And that becomes valuable, and that's why they're good things to have in the portfolio. And at today's yields, they're, they're much better than they were before. So we think fixed income is uh, essential to have in there, and it helps you with that scenario where it can smooth the effect of a recession and allow you to get through it. So how weird is it that cash at rates like this are causing problems when we've had zero return on cash for years at anybody probably the age of about uh, over the age of about 35, 37, you know, does remember a time when cash wasn't close to zero. So having a decent return on cash is is certainly good for everyone. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But cash is not going to get people to their goals. And it certainly, you know, isn't going to help you in a recession because in a recession, when your your equities are going to be struggling because corporate earnings are going to be struggling, uh, the, the response of authorities will be to drop interest rates, which means that you'll earn less on that cash, just at the time as you're seeing possibly, you know, that your your, your growth assets fall in price, and it won't offset it in the way that fixed income will, particularly at the yields we're seeing today. Andy, I've got to ask you, uh, we are, <laughs> as I say, we're going into high interest rates, uh, high inflation era. Are you still completely anti-cash? How should we be behaving now? No, I'm never anti-cash. I'm anti-cash for long-term goals. I think we always preach six to 12 months rainy day money, emergency money, and what goes wrong, you need to have it on hand. But I knew this question would come up, so I did a little bit of research on something that Schroeder's produced. So from 1986, January to January 21, if you'd had a £1,000 invested in the FTSE all share, it made just under 19500 You missed the best 10 days? It was worth just over under 10, sorry, just under 10,000. You missed the best 30 days. It was worth less than £4,264. Everyone wants to be a soothsayer and say, we know when it's going to change. And I heard um, Professor Damodaran from Stern University, who's echoing what Mike says, don't fiddle, don't mess around with your portfolio. Stick to your long-term goals. It's very easy because people think we can time the market. 
if we'd have all known it's great at the end of the 2016-17 football season to say, well, it was obvious Leicester City would win. I should have put me £1,000 on them at 5000 to one because it was obvious Vardy was on fire. It's very difficult to sort of judge the future. And I think when you make predictions, we make an ass of ourselves. But Mike is 100% correct. What is your long-term goal? Use cash for deposit money. That's great. Sometimes when people retire, we might put one year's income in cash to stop any volatility. But will you get your long-term goals reached by sitting in cash? And my answer would still be no. And that research from Schroeder, I've seen it from JP Morgan. I've seen it from uh, Morningstar. The figures might be slightly different, but if you'd have missed 30 days out of a 20-odd year period, 25, you've lost 75% of your growth. And who's good enough to do to judge that? But that's what it becomes because I think people try and think we can all guess it's right and people tend to know. During the pandemic, I listened to an IFA who manages money say he was a student of history. He knew it was going to be a W. So he put all his clients in cash. As the markets recovered, we reckon he cost every client 3 to 4% on earnings because he was arrogant enough to think he knew what was coming. We don't. So you have to go with the research historically. And it's like Mike said, it's one of the reasons we use Morningstar. They have that many analysts and they don't make snap decisions on short-term decisions. And that's when we can all make an ass of ourselves. And the big thing that's happening that's affecting most people, of course, on interest rates is mortgages as people come off their deals and get <laughs> yeah. terrible shocks. It's, this, is, this is on course to be a housing shock similar to the one in the early 90s people losing their homes, people, you know, finding that they've got to seriously curtail uh, their spending. Um, What are you advising? I think it's a different landscape. I think the banks are better capitalised. I think the loan to values are considerably lower than what they were. But it is a shock. You're getting people's mortgage rates going up by £1,000, £2,000. But a lot of people also had significant pay rises to adjust for this. But I think it is a totally different landscape. I mean, Mike, what do you think? It is pretty different um, in the sense that uh, for some period of time, banks had been forced to do more checking on the capacity of new, uh, new, new borrowers to handle more adverse circumstances, that the adjustment is also a case of exactly how long they fixed it for and uh, what has happened to the value of the property since they bought it. So it's fair to say that people who bought properties fairly recently will be more impacted. If, of course, they've done that, having sold and made money previously, then I think the effect is less. Don't forget, too, a lot less of people actually have a mortgage because I think in the last stats, a third of people own their houses outright, a third are renting them, and a third have mortgages, and those who've got mortgages, many have had them for quite some time. So yes, there's a proportion of the people of, of mortgages who, who are going to struggle and go through an adjustment process, but they'll be able to borrow for longer if that's what they choose to do, which also comes at a significant cost to them in the long run. But there are other avenues. Banks are not going to be foreclosing like they did in the early '90s, and the authorities have pressured them uh, to make sure that doesn't happen either. So I, I think the parallels with the early '90s are. Um, in many respects, pretty limited, even though it's fair to say the increase in mortgage costs is is large, without a doubt. Just to wrap up, Mike, I mentioned artificial intelligence at the beginning. 
in terms of investments, in terms of these gigantic rises in value and perhaps evidence of overenthusiasm in certain parts of the stock market. What about AI as more of a, a, a functioning tool in people's personal finance? Are we you know, coming to the point where AI is going to put poor old Andy out of a job and uh, I will instead be talking to a kind of a, an avatar on the screen uh, to advise me on my investments and savings? Yes, I, I don't think I don't think uh, artificial intelligence is, is is quite there to replace Andy just yet. Uh, God so for I've that! Told, I've told him I told him at three o'clock next week. It's all over. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to turn him off and turn him on again. Yeah, here's my letter of <laughs> resignation. <laughs> that's, that's right, read by a robot. Uh, so, uh, w- what is super fascinating and super scary is that transition from been described as cur- curated AI. So think about um, maybe something like Instagram where your responses are being tracked um, uh, and you're being shown things that correspond to expressions of interest that you've demonstrated by what you looked at um, and there's plays on your behavioural biases, you know, wanting to be liked, et cetera, to generative AI. So it doesn't just curate based on what we looked at. It comes up with completely new and original things. Uh, and the accelerations that have uh, happened in terms of the ability for generative AI, and everyone's focused on the chatbot, means that um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a big uh, step up in what can be done. There's all sorts of related issues about how that should be controlled, uh, what it could be allowed to do. And so there's quite a significant uncertainty, but, but you know, it does seem to be a, um, a sea change. And on, on the one side, many things that, that are, are relatively straightforward to do are already being done. Um, we generate a lot of reports, for example, with so-called natural language text um, and more things, more thinking-related tasks will be done. But between you and me, I want AI to, to wash my dishes and and, 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 and and do things that I don't like doing. And they can't do that. They can't weed the garden. So uh, there you go. There's a thought. There could be a few um, a few uh, extra career options for all of us. Well, this is the irony. We were told that uh, robots and machines would do the boring, tedious jobs that we didn't like doing, allowing us time to write poetry and, do pa- and you know write scripts and paint and so on. It turns out it went the other way around. So the AI is doing all the interesting stuff. It's right, you know, it's making uh, writing the songs and creating the paintings and weather ones. I have to take the bins out. It seems very unfair. Well, there you go. It's cleverer, cleverer than us already. Well, this will play out as time goes by, and I'm sure we'll be returning to the, the subject of AI as it relates to everyone's investments. Um, but we've come to the end of the podcast, so thanks for joining us, Mike. My pleasure. Always a fun to catch up with you guys, and hope the folks dialing in got something out of it. Yes, and thank you also to Andy, who is uh, the hardy perennial. We'll never, we'll never turn you off, Andy. We'll always keep you... Uh, you know, operating. You're you're a new man now that Celtic's got Brendan Rodgers back, aren't you? Rejuvenated. I don't think the word rejuvenated is the word I was looking for. I think <laughs> if I could replace him with AI, I'd be very happy. But Spurs have got a great manager. I think it will be a fascinating Premier League next year in the UK, and I think the Scottish League will be amazing. The Scottish Premier League, rather, and I think it'll be great. But I've got European football to look forward to from September, so I'm very excited about that. There you go. Well, by the time the podcast comes back, the football will have returned. Thank God. I'm jonesing (laughs) for the football. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. 
Remember to follow It's Your Money on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever your favourite app is. Then you'll get the next edition automatically. Uh, We hope you found it useful and enjoyable. We've enjoyed doing it and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm. 